You're listening to Travel Brigade, your weekly travel and destination show. Here are your hosts, Kathleen Curry and Jeff Griffin. Welcome to Travel Brigade, your weekly travel and destination show. This is Kathleen Curry here with Jeff Griffin in one of my favorite cities, Dublin, Ireland. I always love coming to Ireland and all the cities here all have such unique, different flares. And there's so much to cover in Dublin that we wanted to do something a little special today. Yeah, we're going to talk about literary Dublin. We're going to talk about all the great writers that are here. And just because we're talking about writers and poets doesn't mean that you have to have read all these. There's plenty of things that will get you interested in all this aspect of Ireland and Dublin with fun activities. Yeah, we're not assigning you a reading list or anything here. We're telling you you have to go enjoy a nice dinner and listen to an evening of Irish storytelling. We're telling you that you have to go to various pubs and hear entertaining stories with a tour guide. That's how you experience literary Dublin. You know, one of my other things, too, I know we're going to cover today is the Book of Kells, which is also not just fascinating with the history, but also just, you know, it's it's so beautiful to look at as well. It's truly stunning how many great writers are from here. It's sort of like if you went to uh, the baseball all-star game and like some significant number of the players were from one, you know, not huge city, but fairly, fairly large city. Right. Yeah. Either here in Dublin or have spent significant time here in Dublin. Basically, their scenery or the landscape of their work comes from this city. I'm just going to name off my all-star lineup here. These are the top nine. I'm not sure what batting order I put them in. I haven't figured out yet who's like my leadoff guy with the high on-base percentage, <laughs> who's a power hitter who can drive people in. But, but here's basically my starting nine. I'm sure I'm leaving some people out. Tweet us at Travel Brigade if you've got a different lineup. Here's my lineup. Jonathan Swift, Oscar Wilde, James Joyce, Samuel Beckett, Brendan Behan, the man who famously said, I'm a drinker with a writing problem. <laughs> Roddy Doyle, who wrote one of my favorites, The Commitments. George Bernard Shaw, Bram Stoker, author of Dracula, and the great poet William Butler Yeats. That's just from one city. I know. I know. And all of these writers, I mean, they, like I said, they're deeply, significantly embedded in this city. And, you know, I've often wondered, being of Irish descent myself, is part of this whole like poetry writing, does this sort of offspring from the gift of the gab? You know, you kiss the Blarney stone to be given the gift of the gab, but there is something about people who are Irish. They're good storytellers. And it doesn't matter <laughs> whether they're totally true or not. They're just amazing storytellers. And even going beyond just the written word on the page, I was looking and thinking of all the great lyrics to songs that have been written by guys from here. Bono of U2, Bob Geldof, Boomtown Rat. Glenn Hansard once, Bill Wynott, Thin Lizzy. I mean, you could just branch out into any area if it involved words. The Irish have got it. We've got a lot of great interviews today. We're going to start off with an interview with the Dublin Literary Pub Crawl. I just had the best time on this. You show it up, up at a pub while you're having a pint. You listen to a pint in a pub. A guy uh, tell you about some of these writers, and they do some scenes from different plays, and then you go to another pub, and then. You, you go to about, I think it was four or five pubs uh-huh. in all. You end up having a great time. And a lot of pints. Yeah. <laughs> After that, you were talking about how important, you know, talking is to the Irish. We're going to talk about <laughs> Irish folk tours. And they've got a special night where you go to the oldest pub in Dublin and you sit and listen to the Irish folklore tales told yep. by expert storytellers. And, and about the fairies yeah. and such. And, and really, it is really interesting. And I loved uh, talking about that that interview because it is, the country's very Catholic and, and everyone puts Ireland and Catholicism together. But what's interesting is that they're one of the few people that still embed their old Celtic culture in that. And so it does have kind of a little different twist. They're, they still, you know, believe in the fairies and they still believe, you know, and all these things are very significant to them. So it's the Irish storytelling is really great. And that kind of connects us to the Book of Kells, which is actually one of my just all-time favorite things to do when you go there. Um, we're going to have an interview there at the Book of Kells, and it's just this amazing piece of religious work that all these Celtic emblems, symbols, you see people with uh, Celtic tattoos or whatever, a lot of it all drives back to the Book of Kells. And when I gave my all-star lineup earlier of all those great writers, probably the one that's most associated with Dublin when you immediately say Dublin and writing would be James Joyce. We have a James Joyce Museum here. We've got an interview with them. There's also a really fun Dubliners audio tour, the uh, 
book Dubliner is a collection of short stories by Joyce. Uh, there's an audio tour where you go around to the different places and uh, listen to these stories and get information on them. And we've got an interview with them as well. So that's right. Sit back and enjoy Literary Dublin today. Your IQ will go up at least 20 points after this show. We hope so. But you'll also enjoy it at the same time. So that's what's so fun about it. Before we get to any of that, we need to do Hot Topics and Travel up next. And I'm afraid I'm going to have to do an intervention. <laughs> An intervention? This is this is an intervention of a different sort. Stay tuned. You're listening to Travel Brigade. We'll be right back. What's hot? What's not? What's trending? Next up, this week's picks for travel news and hot topics in travel. Welcome back to Travel Brigade, your weekly travel and destination show. This week's show here in Dublin, all about literary Dublin. We're learning more about Oscar Wilde, James Joyce, all the amazing writers and all kind of the how it's embedded into the culture here. All these great and interesting things. We've got a great interview coming up. But first, we have hot topics in travel. This is one I found at Yahoo Travel, and it asks the question, is travel addiction real? <laughs> oh, not this is that I'm, not that I'm Looking at anybody as I ask that question. <laughs> he was talking about addiction before an intervention. This is all making a little bit of sense. Is it? Is this a true story or is this something that you made up so that we could have this marital discussion? <laughs> no, this is a true story. Um, it's interesting. The author kind of points out and interviews a lot of people. There's, there's kind of two tracks to it. Number one yeah. is talking to people who, when they come home from a trip, it's like coming down off a <laughs> drug high and they literally just lay in bed for two days having to, you know, or, or just feeling totally panicked and anxious, like having to get on the flight home because they don't want the trip to end. Now, I don't get panicked and anxious about coming home, but I do have a, I do kind of come down after I get done. I'm, I'm like, I'm circling around, like, when do we get to go? I feel like this, this should be in the DSM-5, a list of travel addiction, like, do you do this and do you do that? If you meet three of these five, right. then you are, then you have a travel travel addiction. Well, and I always close the show by saying you're either on a trip or you're planning your next trip. And I found that's kind of how you get <laughs> over the coming home blues as you start planning the next trip. I try to make myself as busy as possible once we get home because yeah. usually there's mail, there's the yards and mass, da, 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 da. And considering so, we're home like four days out of every two months, it's, it's, there is a lot to catch up when we get home. But the other interesting track they took was when they, so they talked about this, you know, for some people it's like coming off a drug, but they talked to a lot of doctors and psychologists and for them, they said, uh, like anything else, you're addicted to something when you start doing it in ways that are harmful. Like if you plan a trip that you, you know, is going to put your family into bankruptcy. <laughs> if you, if you plan a trip, uh, I don't, you don't know, but, feed the children yeah, and you're, like, yeah. You're making reservations on your, you know, for the best wine restaurant in Napa and you don't feed your children. Is that right? That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I can see where you're coming with this. <laughs> well, I think travels like anything else. It, it, it can, anything that gives you pleasure can be addicting. That's true. And I do think there is true. I mean, there are times, you know, we, we I joke that we've, you know, run down our 401ks and spent all the children's college money on it. And the truth is we haven't, but there are times I'm sure we could have made better choices with our money, but we enjoyed it. Yeah, no, it's, it's uh, and we've talked before about the difference between accumulating things and accumulating experiences. So, you know, uh, there's different ways to, to handle it, but it can be an addiction. Just, uh, you know, check out this article, maybe ask yourself a few questions or ask your family if they yeah. think you're a traveler. Or your therapist. <laughs> we'll have to look into that. And again, you know, they're always revising the DSM. I'm going to have to check with my friends. I have a really good friend who is a psychologist and ask him if this is the up and coming trend of actual travel addiction. Well, up next, we've got an interview with the Dublin Literary Pub Crawl. This was a fun evening that I had. Went to several pubs, heard a lot of good stories, saw a couple of scenes performed. Uh, just a great time. You can tell people that you're doing scholarly work while you're actually having a Guinness. Up next, our literary pub call in Dublin. Make sure that you check us out at our website, TravelBrigade.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at Travel Brigade. We will be right back. Not sure where to go, what to do, and where to sleep? 
Up next, hot hotels, unique activities, and top attractions in our destination city. Check it out. Welcome back to Travel Brigade. We're here at O'Neill's Pub in Dublin doing the literary pub crawl. I'm here with Derek Reed, who is the sort of main uh, reciter, actor, lecturer, describer, comedian of this tour, all of the above. And tell me a little bit about how you first started the tour and how it became so successful? Well, it was started by a friend of mine called Colin Quilligan. Uh, I kind of collaborated with him uh, in the summer of 1988 when we were kind of out-of-work actors looking for work. Um, we just started it for beer money one summer, and it kind of worked out. We did well. We got some beer. <laughs> then the following summer, we said we'd do it again. Then after that, people started calling us and saying, are you doing this? And um, it kind of took off in about 1990, 1991 especially, um, when we had our, uh, what we call our millennium year, or aluminium year as we call it. Uh, Dublin was officially a thousand years old and the tourist board were looking for things, you know, what, what was going on in Dublin. And there actually wasn't all that much going on, but we were already up and running. So they got lots of journalists over to see us and... TV crews kept coming in, radio guys, BBCs, NBCs, everything. So we suddenly kind of took off, you know. One thing I'm really loving about this tour is that, uh, yes, I want to find out more about Joyce and where he hung out and all these different things, but I'm finding myself as much as I'm saying, oh, wow, that's really interesting. I'm also laughing. It seems like you guys have really gone out of your way to make this an entertaining tour. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it is, first and foremost. It's an entertainment. It's not night school. (laughs) <laughs> we were determined not to make it that, you know. And we like to gel people together right at the beginning because these people are coming into a bar they've never been in before. They don't know what's going to happen. There could be 40, 50 people. And they don't know what's going on. So the first thing to do is make them laugh together, and then they kind of gel as a group, and then other things flow after that, and they, they, it becomes more acceptable to the group. They, they kind of they kind of trust you. Now, once you get that rapport going, then you can get serious. Then, but there also has to be many, many lighthearted moments in it because people are also drinking. It's a pub crawl. Remember that, folks. <laughs> so so that's, it's, it's very important that people are laughing a lot of the time. Another thing I'm finding really interesting is all the little anecdotes I'm hearing about different writers and things that you wouldn't typically see in a textbook or cover in a college course. Where do you pick those types of things up? Well, we just pick scraps of information up uh, ourselves as we go along. People tell us things. Um, you know, we both have we all have backgrounds and you know academic backgrounds as well. We are too, but you know that's not what gives it to us. But we do. We, we, we still we keep reading stuff and we find out more things. We tell jokes if they work. <laughs> we keep them going for years and years and years. But, uh, you know, these, these, these bit little tidbits of information come through newspaper columns. They come, you hear it on a television program. You say, oh, God, I'll use that, you know. Why not, you know. It's all free information. So a lot of people wouldn't know that, you know. How many opportunities are there to get a pint on this trip? Uh, we go to four pubs, so uh, I'll have one in the second bar and the third bar and maybe the fourth bar. Um, because I can't, I don't have one in the in the first bar because it wouldn't look good. But afterwards, <laughs> I've got to keep up with the rest of the guys. They're all drinking. <laughs> What's uh, typically the writer that people are most interested in? Is it is it Joyce? Is it Oscar Wilde? Or, or what do you find moves people the most? Well, most people would be interested in Joyce without necessarily knowing much about him. But that's fine. And they know Beckett, but you know these are more difficult writers. Uh, Oscar Wilde usually gets the laughs, more laughs because they, they know Oscar's supposed to be this and Oscar's supposed to be that. But then when we ask a certain quiz question about it, it becomes a bit of a surprise as to what the actual lifestyle he led is not as quite as exactly as people might have thought. Spoiler alert, but they open with the scene from Waiting for Godot. And uh, what, what inspires you to pick certain scenes to perform in or certain poems to recite? Well, it's a kind of a bite thing. Um, there has to be laughs in it. And uh, that piece we do from um, Beckett, it's got everything. First of all, we do the Beckett, first of all, because we don't use an introduction. 
because we've already done introductions to who we are and where we'll be going and all that kind of stuff. But then we just start performing and people are looking at us strangely with these hats on. Some people get it, obviously, from the hats. But then when people say, oh, it's my never got it. Oh, great. Oh, wow. And that kind of draws people in. That helps to get the audience together, which is very, very important at the beginning of the evening, you know. And then, you know, it's a bit more serious and, you know, we like to get um, some, you know, the more modern poets and we've been working on that, you know, especially women, women like Yvonne Boland, uh, that, uh, I, I quoted from and Paula Meehan and things like that. So that's the more serious, slightly serious bit, you know. Now, I'm really interested. We're, we're about halfway through right now, and we're, we're doing a quiz. You keep throwing out these quiz questions for the end. If I've had four pints by the end, that's, that's going to be uh, pretty hard for me to remember all those questions. Do you find people, people do pretty well on the quiz at the end? Yeah, it depends. Like the, the drinking can be kind of an equalizer because you, you get people who are really, really smart and they know everything. You know, after a few pints, you go, "Oh my God, I've forgotten that." <laughs> so it's really just it's, it's the quiz is just a bit of a gimmick, to, you know, for people to enjoy themselves with. Some people take it very seriously, and others don't take it seriously at all. But that's fine. <laughs> if people want to know more about the literary pub crawl, where can they find information? They can find us online. Just uh, just Google um, our anything, any search engine, just go Dublin Literary Pub Crawl and you'll find it. It's one of the, the first thing that will come up will be that. All right. Well, thank you, Derek Reed. We really appreciate it. And we're looking forward to the rest of it. Thanks. You're listening to Travel Brigade with Kathleen Curry and Jeff Griffin. You can follow them on Twitter, like them on Facebook, and check out their website at travelbrigade.com. Welcome back to Travel Brigade, your weekly travel and destination show. This is Kathleen Curry here with Jeff Griffin. We're here in Dublin doing everything there is around literary Dublin. There's so much to do. We just did an amazing interview learning all about the literary pub crawl. So much to do here in Dublin. I've got a great joke from that pub crawl. I think it was actually lifted from uh, Ulysses by Joyce, but how do you get through Dublin without passing by a pub? I do not know. You stop in every one. (laughs) (laughs) Da-da-da-da. Anyway, another great attraction is the Dublin Writers Museum. We've talked about all the great writers from here, too many to count, so they gathered them all together in one museum located on Parnell Square, right across from the Garden of Remembrance, which in and of itself is worth a visit. But the museum just kind of gives you this overview of you know, where this great tradition came from, how it's been carried out through the years, really worth a visit. Next up, we have an interview with Irish folk tours. They're actually sort of taking this whole experience, talking about the folk tales, the poetry, the storytelling, and doing it into an amazing evening that you can have, including dinner. You can learn about the fairies, learn about the folk tales. There's an entertainment all night long. And so that's kind of another way that you can enjoy this sort of hands-on while you're here in Dublin. From there, we're going to go to an interview about the Book of Kells. Uh, Whether you're into books or not, this is one of the most visited attractions in Dublin. A copy of the Four Gospels done by monks over a thousand years ago, and it's truly stunning to see, and we'll hear more about that. Stay tuned. You're listening to Travel Brigade, your weekly travel and destination show. Check us out on Twitter at Travel Brigade. We will be right back. Travel Brigade, tweet them at Travel Brigade. Welcome back to Travel Brigade, your weekly travel and destination show. This is Kathleen Curry and Jeff Griffin here in Dublin, and more specifically, learning about all of the great literary angles storytelling, great authors here while we're here in Dublin. Now, some of the authors we've been talking about wrote their stories down, but there's also a terrific oral tradition of Irish folklore. And you being of Irish descent, and I know your dad and his siblings and any (laughs) Irish people I know. The Blarney. Love to tell a good story. <laughs> love to just say, wait a minute. It's true. It's genetically, gonna, it's genetically engineered. Have I got a story for you? <laughs> and it's not just a story. We have to embellish the story. It's oh, just, yeah. It's always good. You know, like, yeah. It's 85% true. <laughs> it starts with the truth, and then it just whatever sounds yeah. good after that. Yeah. <laughs> comes along. And so when you're in Ireland, you're going to want to experience some of that folklore and that storytelling. And the perfect place to do it is with Irish folk tours. We've got Johnny Daly with us. And 
Johnny, tell us a little bit about the importance of Irish folklore and what role it's played sort of in the history of Ireland. Well, I think the, um, you know, the folklore is, it, it's, it's incredibly rich in Ireland. Um, you know, compared to a lot of other countries in Europe, we really were very lucky that a lot of the folklore here was uh, recorded and saved before it was actually lost. Uh, they actually, it's amazing, I think in the 1930s, they got 100,000 school children to go out to their pre- to back home with school books and get their grandparents to tell them the stories, the folklore that they grew up with. What an um, so great this, idea. Yeah, a great idea. And they so they collected this huge body of folklore before a lot of it was lost. And they know that well, if the grandmother has it, she would have learned it from her grandmother because the folklore and the stories were often passed down from grandparents to the grandchildren. So suddenly we have this body of folklore that's at least 150 years old uh, or 200 years old. Um, so it's very unique, and, and then they would have gone around and recorded it with wax recordings and recorded a lot of stories. So we, we have a very rich um, body of folklore here that I've used to research um, for the folklore and storytelling nights that we, we run in the Brazen Head. And the folklore was, I mean, what I would have come from a very new and just uh, an interest in it. And what really interested me about it was how the folklore, it really helped people deal with life in so many ways. It gave them peace of mind. And that was the folklore was also keeping people in line, keeping order in the community. And a lot of the stories that they had were, were all about that, you know, making sure that people did the right thing by one another. And how the folklore, particularly the fairy lore, um, helps people um, understand what was going on around them at a time when they didn't have the scientific knowledge we have today to explain why so many things happened. Um, the the fairy lore helped them understand the unexplainable. If you didn't know what it was, it's the fairies. <laughs> and the fairy world used That's to really what I explain. Say, even now. Yeah, there you go. And it was, it was it, that's how I explain how my computer works. That's, that's there you go. The fairies got at it. Yeah, exactly. Those fairy computer gremlins. <laughs> They're everywhere. They're international, those I ones. Um, but it, 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 it is very, it's the psychology. How the folks already, you know, if it didn't give you peace of mind or a sense of empowerment in your life, um, then it didn't necessarily survive. And uh, so a lot of folks are, nothing happened out of coincidence and everything happened for a reason. Um, and it, it helped people feel that if you did things right, then things would go right for you. And if things, things, if things went wrong for, for you, there must be some reason for it. You must have done something that you didn't obey the orders of the folklore or whatever. Um, superstitions um, today, you know, the more risky your life, the more superstitious you are. The, more, the less control you have of your life, the more superstitious you are. Um, and um, in 19th century, a long time ago, the area that we cover, people had very little control of their lives. Um, so lots of superstitions. And I do love this belief system. You know, if you say, if I do this, I'm going to have good luck. If I do that, I'm going to have bad luck. You're going to do the thing that brings you good luck, yeah? Exactly. And now, and now you're expecting the good luck to come your way. And we have exactly. like, just like all Jeff over the world. Jeff married a nice Irish girl, which, of course, has brought him such amazing luck his whole life. Well, there you go. There you go. Positive thinking and he's brought you into his life. I was also <laughs> going to say, even, even in our 21st century digital age, uh, if, if you go to a sports event, you'll see people doing all sorts of things to bring good luck to their team. So uh, I, I think uh, it's, it's kind of magical that some of that lives on even oh, in our exactly. And today. that's the thing. Even, you know, things where you need luck. Um, and you'll see that you know, sports people, loads of superstitions that would bring them luck. And, and, you know, as I said, we have psychologists that tell us whatever you project out of your mind, with your mind, it helps to come back to you. And, the, you know, and, and that's what the folklore is about. If it didn't give you peace of mind, a sense of empowerment, it didn't necessarily survive. And also, you know, you know, things today in our modern world, that things go wrong in our lives, we beat ourselves up, oh, I should have done this way, or I should have done that way. In this system, you know, if things go wrong, you can go, well, it ain't my fault. Because <laughs> I did everything <laughs> I like, to cover myself. I like this. And if things have gone wrong, it seems beyond my control, and I'm not going to beat myself up over it. Like so that. gave you great peace of mind. So it's very practical, the folklore, you know, and, and that's the reason why it survived. And it didn't give you peace of mind, didn't give you a sense of empowerment in your life. It didn't necessarily survive. And so that's what we had. And we have this wonderful rich body of folklore that, that, that would have been passed down to the generations and superstitions, beliefs, the fairy lore, the stories, all of these things that gave um, an order to the community and gave people a sense of empowerment in their lives that they could do things that may make things better for them at a time when they had very little control in their lives. And most importantly, gave them a sort of sense of peace of mind. It gave an order to the things. And in Ireland in particular, when the church really, you know, it did come in with the arrival of St. Patrick and the monastic system, it came in a very peaceful way. So in Ireland, where the old, the old belief system was suppressed, 
Um, here was lad coexisting alongside the new Christian belief. Um, and so it was, it, but it gradually reduced in size and power the old gods and deities into what we know as the fairy world today. Um, but then you had the Reformation, um, the uh, penal laws, Cromwell, all that. And suddenly the church was gone for another 400 years. So this belief system in the fairy world as a belief system that gave an order and an explanation to things um, managed to survive here a lot longer. Um, and so you have a very rich here. Now tell us a little bit about how people who are visiting Dublin can sort of experience this for an evening. Uh, you guys have a, a sort of a tour, so to speak, where people come to the oldest pub in Dublin and they can hear an evening of storytelling and enjoy dinner. Yeah, that's it. Um, we, I set it up about six years ago. I worked as a tour guide for 15 years. And I found once you got into the political revolutionary history of Ireland, people, of course, enjoyed that. But then when you got into the common people, uh, their everyday lives, how they saw the world around them. And people seem to really interest, were interested in that, the sort of stuff you don't get in the history books. So um, I set up this folk tour night um, um, in the Bracenet, Dublin's oldest pub. It takes place around a traditional Irish candlelit dinner. So there's a great variety of good wholesome Irish food. And in between courses, we do three presentations. One on the food lore, uh, talking about the potato, what a big part of our history that was. Um, there are superstitions around food, divination games, um, Irish stew, bacon and cabbage, and then you get to eat it as well. And then the second presentation, after you started and served out, um, go into the fray world. So just exploring the fray or belief system and how it helped them deal with life in so many ways, the characters that inhabit it, and how even in the modern land today, we still have a great respect for the fray world with regards to fray forts and fray trees, whether they do or not. There's 40,000 fray forts all around this country on farmers' land, and they do not touch them. <laughs> so it's still very much alive here. And then after they've had dessert, I guess have had their main course, dessert, tea, and coffee. We have uh, musicians come in to entertain them as well during the dinner with traditional Irish music and ballads. And then we finish up the night with the storytelling culture and a couple of nice stories. Um, and it's just going into the imagination, the unseen, giving people lots of fascinating nuggets of information. So that's not only educational, but it's also very entertaining night. It's actually, you know, uh, when we had made contact with you, we had looked some things up online and everywhere you look, whether it's Yelp or TripAdvisor, it's one of the highest rated uh, activities there in Dublin. So, I mean, clearly people like it. It's a very, very popular thing. And so tell people where they can contact you, get information, and where they can book this uh, great evening when they're there with you. Well, yeah, if you want to go to our website, it's www.irishfolktours. That's I-R-I-S-H-F-O-K-T-O-U-R-S. Dot com. Uh, you get all the information there and you can actually book online to the website. Um, if you wish to contact us directly, um, I think, uh, but that would all be on your website as well. Any other questions, you can also email me through the website. Great. We will also have information on our hot sheet for today's show at www.travelbrigade.com. And you can also check us out there. Look under hot sheet for that information as well as following us on Twitter at Travel Brigade. We will be right back. You're listening to Travel Brigade with Kathleen Curry and Jeff Griffin. You can follow them on Twitter, like them on Facebook, and check out their website at TravelBrigade.com. Welcome back to Travel Brigade, your weekly travel and destination show. This is Kathleen Curry. I'm here with Jeff Griffin, and we have been doing a story here in Dublin. And one of our favorite things to do is walk across the street from the hotel we are staying in here and go to the Book of Kills. Yeah, it's located in Trinity College, right in the heart of Dublin, and the chance to see a book that's over a thousand years old, and uh, I was just stunned when we saw it because sitting there thinking, okay, somebody spent a good portion of their life working on just this one page, maybe. I, I can't and, spend a good portion of my life doing anything. And, <laughs> and over a thousand years later, it's still there, and I get to see it. It's just an amazing experience. Here to tell us more about it, is Anne-Marie Diffley. She's with Trinity College in the Book of Kells exhibit. And Anne-Marie, tell us a little bit about what the Book of Kells is and why it's so historically significant. Well, uh, good afternoon to both of you. Um, it's raining here in Dublin, but never mind, never mind. <laughs> People don't come to Ireland for, for, for the weather. I was going to say um, that you get the beautiful green from it, so you have to... Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, we have over 600,000 visitors who come to see the Book of Kells every year. And um, they come to see this wonderful 
um, uh, what we would consider, I suppose, a great art treasure now, but of course, originally, it would have been written um, uh, for the glory of God. It's a copy of the four Gospels. It was written on the island of Iona around the 9th century. So it's even older than a thousand years. It's probably 1,200 years old. Mm. Um, It was written by Irish monks um, in the monastery on the island of Iona, which is just off the coast of Scotland. Because of the Viking invasions, the monks left with the book, came to Ireland, and they settled at their sister monastery in Kells, County Mead. That's why we call it the Book of Kells, even though it actually is a copy of the four Gospels. It stayed in the monastery uh, in Kells and then the parish church until the middle of the 17th century when it was brought to Dublin for safekeeping and eventually handed to Trinity College where it's remained ever since. So its fame isn't from uh, the sort of text, which is the, uh, the story of Jesus, the four Gospels. The fame is from the quality, sophistication and decoration of these illuminated pages. You probably, when you came in, you were probably saying, gosh, who created these pages? And we think perhaps four or five young monks created the Book of Kells. And we believe one or two of these young monks had the spark of genius. They weren't just copying, they were talented in their own right. So it's the same as the artwork. And there's, there's 35 of these beautiful illuminated pages. And then there are, even on the text pages, apart from to this color, this beautiful capital letters, animal motifs running right through the book. So it's the, it's the art of the Book of Kells that makes it so famous. I was going to say, I mean, to imagine that that book is so old and the coloring and the colors and the, and like you said, the art is still so vibrant. It is. Now, it was originally one big book, but in 1953, it was divided in four. So we always have two volumes on display and two are kept safe in a strong room. And I want to disabuse people of this urban myth that we turn a page every day. We don't. (laughs) We turn the pages or change the volumes every three to four months. So you have one of these or two of these 35 pages actually on display at the moment. But in the exhibition beforehand, some of the pages have been blown up to give you an idea of the detail. So yes, it's still very vibrant considering it's so old. Uh, The vellum is made of calf skin. The vellum is still fairly creamy. Uh, Because it was a religious object, um, uh, it was usually kept in a gold and silver shrine box and really on display on holy days or feast days. So um, it it used to be, say, on display at Christmas and Easter, and a lot of the time kept in this gold and silver shrine box that unfortunately has subsequently been stolen. I'm glad you told us about that, not turning the page every day, because I was just going to keep coming back every day until I had read through the whole thing. (laughs) Well, now modern technology means that if you go onto the website, use the whole 680 pages uh, on the website, you can click in that way. The other thing that I found amazing was, you know, the Book of Kells in and of itself was great, and all of the explanation that you see on the tour about it. There's also so much more to see on the tour. It's sort of like a, a music festival where there's a great headliner, and then you get there, and there's a bunch of other great bands playing. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so yes, like the Book of Kells is the foretaste, and then you go to the to the long room, and um, so you've seen this uh, the Book of Kells, and you think, oh yes, that's lovely, and then you go up the stairs. And you're in this wonderful 18th century library filled with 200,000 of the library's oldest books. And it really looks like a cathedral of books, all these lovely, uh, all these beautiful books in these oak book cases. And then there's usually, um, we have uh, exhibitions uh, on the various material we have in college down through the centre. You see the Irish harp, um, you see the proclamation. You see the wonderful bus. So yes, it, it is it is a, a real um, lover of books tour, so to speak. Yeah, I think it's it's great. I mean, seeing the proclamation, you don't realize that you're yeah, like Jeff said, getting those extra bonuses and and seeing all these amazing amazing books. And I was trying to remember the first time that I saw the Book of Kells because this the first time I saw, I actually stayed on Trinity College and and uh, during the summertime, they you can actually stay on the campus as well. That's that's correct. So it's it's obviously first and foremost a university, but there are other things that you can do. Um, we're we're very lucky. We're right in the heart of the city centre, often referred to as the world's biggest traffic island because we're a 42 acre site in the right in the heart of the city. Um, in the summer months, the accommodation we can accommodate up to 800 staff and students, and in the summer months 
these are let out to visitors. But then there's also tours of the campus run by um, uh, Trinity Tours and they are tours by students. There's also the, um, we have a wonderful uh, zoological museum, which is just exactly what you'd expect a traditional museum to be. It's, it's really small uh, and very hands-on, whereas obviously the Book of Kells does the volume visit, the Zoological Museum, which is open just in the summer months, uh, does sort of more, I suppose, you know, more hands-on, smaller tours. Um, there's cafes on campus. There's a, a modern art gallery. Uh, there's a science gallery. So, in fact, there's quite a lot of, of uh, tourist attractions on the campus. But even we've just had a really long stretch of good weather, even just to sit on the benches and watch the world go by. It's just wonderful. And, you know, see the, see the beautiful scenery, the trees, um, sometimes you can see a cricket match. It's our favorite place to stay. I mean, like in that whole area, just either, you know, once I stayed in the college, which is great, but I mean, also just anywhere in the surrounding area where the college is, there's that Weston across the street or some other, you know, the shopping district, not very far. It's just really is the heart of, of the whole area. It's really fun to stay in that area as well. Temple Bar right Ab- around the corner. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's, it's In real estate terms, it's location, location, there location. There you go. I love it. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Can you tell people where they can find information about the Book of Kells and visiting? Absolutely. Um, now we've, uh, you know, modern technology and we can get to see everything. So if you look up www.bookofkells.ie, it goes right into the site and it shows you all, all the information and also gives you information on other things to do in Trinity. Perfect. And we will also have that information on today's hot sheet for the show under our website, travelbrigade.com. You can check that out right there and you can also follow us on Twitter at Travel Brigade. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Travel Brigade with Kathleen Curry and Jeff Griffin. You can follow them on Twitter, like them on Facebook, and check out their website at TravelBrigade.com. Welcome back to Travel Brigade, your weekly travel and destination show. This is Kathleen Curry and Jeff Griffin here in Dublin, learning all about literary Dublin. We've been having so much fun learning more about Yates, Swift, and Wilde, and James Joyce. It's been really fun, but of course, we just finished an interview talking about the Book of Kells, and we wanted to talk a little bit about the libraries and this particular library that's in the long room. It's called the Old Library, and I remember the first time that I went in there, it's just wall-to-wall books, and I thought to myself, here, Jeff is such loves his books, and I thought, what a great way to go home and remodel the house. It's actually just so fascinating to look at, so beautiful, and it's really picturesque to see these books wall-to-wall, and I mean wall-to-wall, floor-to-ceiling, It's absolutely beautiful. And of course, there is a great historic thing there to see, the proclamation of 1916 that's there signed in a case. You really, I mean, between the Book of Kells and the library of all these like first edition books and the proclamation, you really get, you know, I mean, you get the trifecta of of Irish history all in one place. Also on the campus there at Trinity College is the Berkeley Library. And Trinity College is entitled to a free copy of every book published in Ireland or the UK. And they've got them all pretty much. They've got four and a half million books in this library. So anything you want to find, you could find it right there. Also in Dublin at Dublin Castle is the Chester Beatty Library. And they've got a lot of old artifacts and then old things like Egyptian papyrus, dating back, you know, thousands of years. So that's also could be worth a visit. If you want to find out more about some of these libraries or other libraries, go to visitdublin.com and they've got a literary Dublin section that you can go to and it'll tell you about some of these things. Up next, we have two interviews, one with the James Joyce Museum and also another one with the Dubliners Audio Tour. That all coming up next on Travel Brigade. Also, you can check out our website, travelbrigade.com. If you have any information that you want to know about today's show, you can check on the hot sheet for today's show. You can also follow us on Twitter at Travel Brigade. We'll be right back. Questions or comments for the Travel Brigade? Tweet them at Travel Brigade. Welcome back to Travel Brigade, your weekly travel and destination show. This is Kathleen Curry here with my co-host Jeff Griffin, and we are doing a show on Dublin, and more importantly, literary Dublin. There is an all-star roster of writers who are from Dublin. Samuel Beckett, 
Oscar Wilde, Roddy Doyle, who wrote The Commitment, Jonathan Swift, Gulliver's Travels, Bram Stoker, Dracula, just all the greats. But do you know who is sort of like the headliner, the captain of the team? It's got to be James Joyce. Greatest novel of the 20th century, Ulysses, took writing in a whole new direction. You know, if, if you go to a music festival, there's only one headliner. In this case, it's James Joyce. Last year's baseball all-star game, 50 of the greatest baseball players gathered together, but it was all about Derek Jeter. We're here to talk about James Joyce right now and the James Joyce Center with Emily Carson. First of all, Emily, just get our listeners caught up a little bit about, you know, why Joyce has his own center there in Dublin. Um, I suppose that uh, Joyce has his own center, uh, mostly because he has such a profound impact on Dublin itself. He wrote so much about Dublin and, you know, one of the most famous things he says about Dublin is that he, he wanted to write a book that if Dublin was destroyed, you could literally just build it all back up again based on how closely he, you know, wrote his work about it and how closely he described it. So he he kind of had a bit of a, a love-hate relationship with Dublin, but uh, it really, you know, we're, we're situated right in the centre um, of the north inner city and we're right beside a load of landmarks from where Joyce actually wrote about. So it feels like we're sitting right in the middle of his work and, uh you know, that he had such an interesting and, and fascinating life that that's why I think he deserves his own centre. But I'm biased, obviously. How long has the centre been there? So uh, the centre's been here a little over 20 years, um, or a little under 20 years, sorry, my mistake. Um, it was basically, uh, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful old uh, Georgian house that was due to be demolished in 1982, but a group of uh, volunteers and uh, local councillors and local Joyce enthusiasts uh, made a campaign to Dublin City Council um, to stop them demolishing the building because quite a few buildings on the street were actually, uh, yeah, just basically demolished and, and redone up. So uh, they got offered the lease um, from the council and under the kind of condition that they would have to do up the building, renovate it and restore it um, architecturally to how it would have been and then that it would become uh, a Joycean cultural centre. So that's kind of the background to how the building came to be. And it's it's nice that it was kind of a salvage project and a restoration project first um, with the hopes of then becoming a cultural centre. So what we do overall is kind of the mission of the centre is to promote an understanding and uh, an interest in the life and work of James Joyce. Well, I think what's interesting is a lot of people obviously go to Dublin and there's a lot of people that have different interests. You know, they might want to hit music in the pub or, you know, go shopping on O'Neill Street or whatever the case is. But I think what's interesting is when they get there, there's there's so much of a diverse literary presence there that people can engage in as well. And I think that, that for some people, maybe that's the drive for them to go. But I also think for other people, they may not know it. And then they kind of get surprised and, and can get indulged in this different different um, aspect of Dublin as well. Yeah, no, I would absolutely agree. I think um, there is kind of two sort of distinct ways that people seem to view Dublin. And, you know, there is kind of a, still a sense of some sort of, you know, diddly eye, um, you know, nest people expect to go and just kind of, you know, see a lot of people dressed up as leprechauns and a lot of kind of touristy <laughs> stuff. But there, there is still like a really, really authentic um, literary side to it. And I think that's a much more interesting and much more gritty side. And that's something in particular that comes out in Joyce's work, which, uh, yeah, when you when you've engaged with that and then you come and see the city, I think you can really you can still see what he's talking about in modern Dublin. Tell us a little bit about the tour. One part I really liked was sort of uh, getting, you know, you you read Joyce's work and you think, oh, wow, this is wonderful. He was a genius. But I mean, he led a very difficult life. And I particularly loved the the part where it showed like what the apartment he was writing in was like, which was about the size of a closet that he was sharing, I think, with a wife and two kids. I mean, he had this very, uh, for lack of a better term, difficult life uh, while he was doing all this. And, and tell people a little bit about, you know, the kinds of things they can learn about him there at the center. Yeah, well, I suppose it is fascinating to see just how cramped the conditions were that he was living in. Um, and I find really interesting that we have um, the, the furniture from Paul Leon's apartment in Paris, which, you know, when, when Joyce moved to Paris, this is, you know, where he would have gone to talk about Fagan's Wake, to talk about Ulysses. Um, we also have um, the front door from number seven Eccles Street in our courtyard. And for those not in the know, that's uh, the house where the Blooms lived. And when the building was actually demolished um, and redone up, we were donated the actual door. So there's, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of the reality that you're sitting right in the centre of a load of places that fully influence Joyce and you're walking around the same streets that he would have walked around. And you can see so much of a, a link between these things. 
Um, what we have in this beautiful old building is a real piece of Georgian Dublin. The architecture is amazing and one of our front rooms is called the McGuinney Room because the actual building, the reason that the Joyce Centre has this connection with Joyce is because um, in Ulysses there is mention of uh, Dennis McGuinney's dance school and this house was used as a dance school um, way, way, way back when by this man called Dennis McGinn who put an eye on the end of his name to make him sound more Ita- Italian and exotic to get in more dance students. So the McGinney Room has all these beautiful, completely restored, you know, kind of like murals on the walls of, of dance academies. And it's kind of like stepping back in time. That's why I like working in it so much. Just walking into the building feels like you're you're back in Joyce's era, and that's something really special. It's a great connection to have. And I know you regularly host uh, schol- Joyce scholars there, and I'm assuming you do uh, a Bloomsday celebration. Are there any particular events people throughout the year people might want to consider? Um, I mean, we do a really big range of stuff. So this year is the centenary of the publication of Dubliners. So um, we've been having lectures throughout the year and we're just about to launch our autumn series of lectures, which are the first Monday of every month. And the next one that's at the start of September is uh, called um, Whores, Mothers and Others, which is about uh, the depiction of women in Dubliners. So we, we normally have quite a lot of, and they're normally free as well. You've just got to, you know, be aware that you need to, like, give us a call just to let us know that you're coming, basically. But we do uh, we do workshops as well. We have a reading course that's beginning um, at the end of September, which is called Reading the City, which basically takes in loads and loads of different modern and, you know, older Irish authors like Brendan Behan, like Shona Casey, like John Bamble, and looks at how they've interpreted the city in their work. And for Bloomsday, we run a Bloomsday Festival. Um, this year it was biggest ever, uh, and it ran for a week. On Bloomsday itself, we run Bloomsday breakfasts in the centre here, so you can actually eat what Leopold Bloom would eat in Ulysses. And um, we run a lot of tours all year round. And I would say the tours that we do are the jewel in our crown because they really take you around Joyce's Dublin, and the our tour guides are just so charismatic and so fun. And if you've never been that into Joyce, but you want to get into it, or you're interested in, in seeing a really authentic way of looking around Dublin, um, I would definitely suggest coming down to us and getting on one of our tours, because they're really fantastic. I would not want to eat a kidney for breakfast, but otherwise I would love to attend the Bloomsday Festival. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Now, can you tell us um, a little bit about where people can contact you, find out where your tours are, or find out the information on the center, or what you have going on? So uh, we are at www.jamesjoyce.ie. Um, we're actually undergoing a, a website redesign at the moment. So um, the website's, you know, completely functional as it is, but it'll change in a few weeks' time. Um, and then, I mean, we're actually, uh, you know, we're quite old-fashioned. We talk to people on the phone all the time. We email people back. It's it's quite a small team here. So <laughs> if you want to get in touch, um, you can email us at info, I-N-F-O, at jamesjoyce.ie. Or if you look on the website, if you want to give us a ring, you are more than welcome to. Perfect. And we will also have that information on our website at travelbrigade.com. You can check that information out today uh, during the show on the hot sheet, as well as check us out on Twitter at Travel Brigade. More coming up on this week's show, Literary Dumplin', right when we get back. You're listening to Travel Brigade with Kathleen Curry and Jeff Griffin. You can follow them on Twitter, like them on Facebook, and check out their website at travelbrigade.com. Welcome back to Travel Brigade, your weekly travel and destination show. This is Kathleen Curry here with my co-host Jeff Griffin. We are here doing stories all around Ireland, and now we're in Dublin. We've been hitting different things like Trinity College, and Jeff did some really interesting things connected to James Joyce. Literary Dublin, there's you know a list of all-stars, and probably heading that list is James Joyce. I've read many books throughout high school and college for classes, and I've probably forgotten a lot of them, but one that I definitely remember was Dubliners collection of short stories by James Joyce, in particular, The Dead. And there's a scene at the end where uh, Gabriel goes to his wife, Greta, and she starts telling him about how this music reminds her of this boy that she loved in Galway a long, long time ago. That scene has just always stuck with me, and it's such, such a great work. And we found out that you can do a whole tour around Dublin based on Dubliners. Here to tell us more about it is Alice Coughlin. She's with Wonderland Productions, and they've got a Dubliners audio tour. Welcome, Alice, and remind everybody a little bit about what a great work Dubliners is and why it fits in so well with doing a tour of the city. Well, Dubliners um, is James Joyce's classic 1914 story collection. Um, He tried to encapsulate all of what it meant to be a Dubliner. 
um, and he felt that Dublin had a very specific atmosphere that he sought to capture and create um, in the pages of his wonderful short story collection. It's very connected to Dublin, I think, because the, the geography of the book is very interesting, I find. Um, and the, the essential idea is that Dublin is a centre of paralysis that no one can leave, in the sense that the character of the woman is paralysed within Dublin, and whenever they try to leave, um, they hit a kind of wall of water or, or a ring of canals or something that prevents them from leaving at all. So for me, what's so interesting is that the city of Dublin becomes a labyrinth with a centre of paralysis being Mountjoy Square, around which characters struggle to escape. And they just circle around that, and as they get further from that, they have more mobility, but yet they can never leave. So it's this idea of people of people being lost in a labyrinth of a city, um, which, which they cannot escape. And also what's so nice about it is it goes from you know, youth to old age and death, starting out with a boy perhaps eight years old and his fascination for a Catholic priest who's died, and ending with the story you mentioned, The Dead, so beautifully. Yeah. yeah. And I love that somebody did something on Dubliners. I know there's all these uh, Bloomsday tours, and those are great, and we'll talk about the one you guys do. But, you know, you talk about Ulysses, yes, the, the greatest novel of the 20th century, but it's a tough it's a tough slog, even for someone who likes to read it. Very, very worthwhile slog when you get done, but a tough slog, whereas Dubliners is so accessible. And, you know, if you've ever fallen in love or you've ever had unrequited love or you've ever played hooky from school or you've ever had an argument with one of your relatives, it's all there for, for Dubliners. Now, tell us about how the audio tour works. The audio tour works quite simply um, in the slightly old-fashioned way. You go to Chapters Bookstore and you buy the tour and you get handed um, a very detailed map, MP3 player and headphones and self-guided experience. And you essentially head off around the city, reading the book over the course of one day in all the locations James Joyce sets in. So we've dramatized 10 stories in that way. Um, I did the abridgment, so the stories are abridged, um, but fully performed by a cast of 23 actors with the wonderful Irish actor Barry McGovern, very celebrated, um, doing the role of narrator, and everybody else coming in doing all the character parts. So our idea in creating the audio material is that you could be standing in a historical location and almost hallucinate the whole action happening all around you in the location in question. So sometimes you're walking as the characters walk and they do a lot of walking and moving. You walk and move when they do and you stop when they stop. Um, and around maybe 60% of the cases, the landscape hasn't changed that significantly. And those are probably the best stories because something like the King's Inns um, are still there. Some of the pubs have barely changed at all since the time of James Joyce. There's four pubs on our tour. Um, the House of the Dead is still there. In other cases, things have changed almost entirely, which is why we provide. So, so let me get this straight. I can go to a pub and get a pint of Guinness and feel like I'm improving my life in a literary way at the same time. The idea is that the audio material is almost like a picture frame that allows you to read in situ. But you can't, for me, what was always so interesting is you can't, when you read it, you have to use your eyes and your visually your, your eyes go down into a book to do this. And what's so interesting for me um, is the idea that you can look up, say, a Mulligan's pub that's featured in Counterpart and be there in the environment and look around you, look at all the characters, look at the, today's Dublin, which hasn't changed that much, you know, and and then read in your ears James Joyce's book and kind of layer that onto the onto the location because for Joyce, um, location and geography are very, very key ideas in his book. Obviously, with it being self-guided, it, it, you know, it's up to you how long it goes, but what what would you typically recommend people set aside? Well, we um, have three different tours to try to satisfy all these. We have the mini tour, which is four stories and takes between an hour and a half and two and a half hours, depending on how many points you have on the way, that kind of thing. We have the half-day tour that's about three to five hours. Many people stop for lunch. We find both the mini and the half-day equally well. I always thought that once we brought up the mini, which is the last one we bought, that that would be the only one that people do. But actually, the half is every bit as popular. Um, the full day's epic is 10 stories, and that's for the, you know, the hardcore Joycians, and we even let them have the headsets for two days if they want to do that. And I'm delighted whenever someone does, but it's far more rare, because you're actually being sent all the way down to the city's docks and then up the river four miles away to Chapel Lizard. So it's a huge sort of stretch that involves probably cycling. It makes it far more viable using public transport or taxis, because it's a very big stretch of the story. So those are the three products we have. And then on Bloomsday... We have a, you know, we have the James Joyce Festival at that time, and that's the time where I come out and I, I do bike tours and that, four stories down into the docks. Yeah. So in addition to the Dubliners tour, there are also other tours available. Yes, just at Bloomsday, I would do the bicycle tour, and um, I might do a walking tour next 
and I also do um, called Chapel Lizard Literary Pub Crawl out in Pub Chapel Lizard, which is a small village for about three miles from Dublin City Centre, which is near my home, which I just adore. And so one story, a painful case, is sent out there. So at the arts festival times, I would sometimes lead a walk with that, and I'll turn up with 20 headsets and people do it with me. And we also connect that to Finnegan's Wake, which is Joyce's last great novel. Very wonderful, very futuristic, very, very obscure. Um, and we go to the pub that that novel is set in, which is also in Chapel Lizard, and we experience a bit of Finnegan's Wake there, and then we go on to Dublin as a painful case. Tell us a little bit about the Wonderland Theatre and how that's connected with you. Uh, I am the artistic director of Wonderland Productions, and I founded that 10 years ago, and I think we've done about 11 productions to date. Our big focus currently is the children's workshops and camps and drama clubs, um, but historically we've done a lot of site-specific theatre, theatre in restaurants, theatre in historic houses, for example, Brenda Beacon's The Hostage. And tell us a little bit where the audience can connect with you and get and book tours and find out more information. The way they can do that principally um, is, of course, by coming to Dublin and doing the tour, but that's and you book that through entertainment.ie or just by going into Chapters Bookshop on Parnell Street or via our website, wonderlandtheatre.com. But I would suggest to people, certainly in regard to Dubliners, uh, we've had huge success with our Dubliners CD, which is a three CD of all, te- all stories we recorded, all ten. It's a three-hour-long CD, and you can buy that online at all the obvious places like you know Amazon. And you can also download it on iTunes and stream it on Spotify and so on. So it's available to download or stream. So without actually doing the tour, you can actually enjoy certainly the audio material online in that way. But what's very different about the tour, of course, is the whole tour is structured to to walk and experience. So what's on CD is a little bit different in terms of timing. We'll have that information as well on our website at travelbrigade.com. You can click on the hot sheet and we'll have information to connect with you as well. And also, if you want to check us out there or follow us on Twitter at Travel Brigade, that would be great. We'd love to have you. We will be right back. They don't always agree, but they always seem to have their reasons. Next up, Travel Brigade's countdown of their favorites from this week's show on He Said, She Said. Welcome back to Travel Brigade, your weekly travel and destination show. This is Kathleen Curry and Jeff Griffin here in Dublin, again, doing all literary Dublin. It's been so much fun going to pub crawls, writers' museums, so much to do here that's just a very different spin than, you know, just going to a pub and maybe the music in Temple Bar. It's just a little bit of a different twist here in Dublin. As you heard in these last two interviews, we spoke with the James Joyce Museum. Of all the writers, he's probably the one most associated with Dublin because he wrote so much about it. And then we heard about a great program called the Dubliners Audio Tour. We've had nothing but a good time here, and we didn't really open a book once. <laughs> this is all stuff we went out and did. We're talking about literary Dublin, but you don't have to sit and read. You get to go out and experience things. So we've come to the point in the journey where he said, she said, we each name our three favorite things. She said, goes first. I am going to go with the Irish folk tours. I think any time that you can listen to Irish stories, there's something sort of enchanting about it. I think, you know, it does sort of, to me, encompass sort of the roots of where these writers and poets and, and lyricists and everything all come from are these deep-rooted traditions. So I would say that, not to mention, not that's just not my pick, but if you look on them on Yelp or TripAdvisor, they're so highly rated there in Dublin as one of one of the you know best things you can do. And I would, I would put my thumbs up to that as well. My number three is the James Joyce Museum. The thing I really liked about it was it gave me a real sense of Joyce the man and what his life was like. You know, a lot of times we kind of put these writers in a box or on a pedestal and only think of them in terms of their creations. Uh, this really gave me a good idea of who the man was. My number two is the proclamation, sitting there in the old library, seeing this proclamation, seeing the signatures on it from 1916. It's really just such a significant piece of Irish history, and I really, really enjoyed it. I thought that was really great, so you've got to do that. My number two is the Dubliners audio tour. I think that's a great way to not only get to know the city, but to be able to get to know those stories that James Joyce wrote a little better. It's kind of a two-for-one package. My number one has to be the Book of Kells. I mean, not only is it absolutely beautiful, beautiful, but to think about these monks sitting there and painstakingly drawing these Celtic images, rewriting these books, 
and making it just such a beautiful piece of artwork, not to mention, obviously, historic religious pieces. But it's just absolutely beautiful and beautiful to see. And it really does sort of tie in that old Celtic history, old Celtic culture that's still there in society. My number one was the literary pub crawl. Again, you say, oh, I'm going to Dublin to study literature. It doesn't have to be dry or snooty. You can go have a Guinness and listen to somebody tell fun stories. <laughs> That's your scholarly work. And let me just say, Jeff got some scholarly work in while we were there. And a thirst for knowledge. Yes, a thirst for knowledge. Very good. Much like many of the books we've been talking about today, our story has come to an end and it's time for us to head out of Dublin. But we will be back next week with another great destination for you. In the meantime, please remember there are two stages in life. You're either on a trip or you're planning your next trip. Whatever stage you're in, please join us next week for another great destination. Again, any information on today's show can be found on our hot sheet at TravelBrigade.com and check us out on Twitter at TravelBrigade. See you next week and enjoy the trip. You have been listening to Kathleen Curry and Jeff Griffin on Travel Brigade. Connect with them on Facebook, Twitter, and at TravelBrigade.com.